Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Perfect Stranglers. My name is Kylie. And I'm Bree. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Chris McCon- What is it? Chris Mahana Quantica. You yep. remember those commercials? Mm-hmm. Chris Mahana Quanta. <laughs> yes. Never heard that. Chris Mahana Quantica. I remember Quantica. Chris Mika from the OC. Yeah. <laughs> and like we mentioned in the episode before, we have Danielle here who just so happens to be the kind of expert on our topic we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's okay. just like her favorite. It. It it's is. just like her favorite. Her favorite murder or whatever. Love. Yes. We'll get to that in a hot second. So, Brie, how are you doing? Good. Good. You know. Hanging in there. I watched Elf earlier today. You did? Yeah. So, do you feel like that's an overrated or underrated holiday movie? Mm, the right amount of rated. Really? Okay, so. Yeah. I have a hot take on that for a hot sec. I feel like Elf is extremely overrated. Cheers me right now, you bitch. I agree. Yeah. People don't talk enough about, you know, meet me in St. Louis. What? Like an old Christmas movie. Like the, was it Judy Garland? Yes, bitch. Yes. (laughs) I am an old Christmas movie kind of gal and Elf is overrated. I I watch it like, you know, it's just on the background. Like, do you like White Christmas? Yes, I'm. I'm here for the old Christmas shit. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Okay, it's a wonderful you... life. Mm. You look at me like you don't know that movie. Okay. It's a wonderful life gives me life. If you're not watching, it's a wonderful life on Christmas Eve. I really don't know what you're doing. Okay, right. what are you doing? Here's what I have to say about this. If you're not so clearly, you're not watching it. What are you doing? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, what do you do? Okay, so me and my brother, we would always watch um, Home Alone two. Because Home Alone mm-hmm. 2 is way better than Home Alone 1. It's funnier. The, like, pranks that he pulls is much better. And who can forget about the pigeon lady? Right. Right? I feel bad for her, though. Yeah. Did they ever, like, catch up on what happened to her in the movie? Like, after she was a pigeon lady? Or was she always just, like, a homeless pigeon lady? We need lady? an update on her. <laughs> I, need a, I need an update on the pigeon lady, please. <laughs> well, here, but... Okay, but here's why I feel really bad for her is because, like, they woke up with this, like, all these, like, amazing presents and everything like right. that. So clearly they have money. Right. But he just gives her this shitty little, like, ornament and was like, here, lady. Like she clearly doesn't have a tree. My- right. Exactly. So what is our true crime story that we're going to be talking about today? Okay, so we are going to be discussing a... Very well known, and I think our first really like heavy hitter crime that we're gonna be talking about. Um, we're gonna be talking about Jean Benet Ramsey. All right, um, and I know that this is Danielle's like favorite case, near and dear. Yes, it is near and dear to her. She's the supreme authority. Uh, Yes, she is the supreme authority, and the reason that we kind of, like, asked her to be here today, other than the fact that she's entertaining as fuck. Hello! So, yeah, we're going to be chit-chatting about Jean Monnet and going through kind of the ins and outs of that, and um, let's get started. 
So, uh, JonBenet Patricia Ram- Ramsey was born on August 6th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia to parents John and Patsy, Patsy Ramsey. Um, the case is one of, if not like the most popular case in America in the last like 30 years, I'd say. For mm-hmm. me, this is like one of two major cases that I distinctly remember from my childhood. So the first case I remember is O.J. Simpson. Of course. And I very specifically remember my Aunt Susie standing in my living room as I was a kid watching this like slow crawl of O.J. Simpson's white SUV on the highway. Like I very distinctly remember that. The other distinct memory that I have of Jean Benet was her face plastered all over magazine stands in the grocery store. Yeah, And I was yep. like, right? Uh, yes. There was like five pictures that they used. Like they just alternated them. Yes. The, it, it feels to me like the original tabloid. Like, <laughs> yes, that's exactly. all I can picture. When I think tabloids, I think yep. JonBenet's picture. Right. And like I was, so JonBenet and I were born four months apart almost. So I was very close to the same age. And I was six at the time of her murder. And I remember her face everywhere. So, like, my marketing degree kind of, like, it made me think about this. So, when magazines are on Mm -hmm. display, those magazines are eye level with a six-year-old kid that age. So, looking back, it's very kind of scary and eerie to remember a girl the exact same age as I was plastered on the newsstands everywhere. Because I remember her in her cowboy hat Uh and, like, a blue outfit. Mm -hmm. And that, like, fluffy, curly hair. The big hair. Yes. Exactly. It's definitely nothing I've ever mentioned to my mom or anything like that of, like, this distinct memory of... A tabloid or a young girl and my mom used to work at a grocery store and I remember going to that grocery store and seeing this young girl's face plastered everywhere and I didn't understand it at that point but obviously I understand it yeah, now. Yeah I mean, it stuck with us. Right. That's like those are early memories. Like, yes. So you were six I would have been if it was in 96 like I mm-hmm. would have been four. four. Mm-hmm. So like I remember seeing it and I know it was in the tablets for a long long time but like that's, like, a serious, distinct memory. Yeah. And, like, I can picture her. Yeah. And picture myself seeing her to this day. Like, mm-hmm. that's... It is, like, ingrained in me. So, um, with that being said, a little background on the family. Jean Benet was kind of thrown into, into the world of childhood beauty pageants by her mom, Patsy, who was definitely no stranger to pageants when she was a teen. Um, Patsy had very high standards for Jean Benet and pushed her towards perfection. Um, Patsy had stage done, mom, right? Yes, mm-hmm. definitely stage mom. If you've ever seen toddlers and tiaras, yeah, it was like toddlers and tiaras before it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely toddlers and tiaras before it happened. And um, but Patsy had a very high standard for Jean Benet, which we'll talk. A- touch on in um a little bit when we really get into the suspects of the case but yeah she had a high standard and at the time of death jean benet was six years old and she had won five high profile beauty pageants which is a lot for a six-year-old i mean that's a lot Mm -hmm. of pressure for a six-year-old to be under 
Definitely. So when we dig really into the murder, which I'm going to briefly touch over the murder, what really, what I'm going to focus on is the suspects of the case. So on December of 1996 in Boulder, Colorado, Patsy discovered a ransom note in her home for her six-year-old daughter, prompting her to call the police. So the only people in the house at this time were Jean Bonnet, Patsy, Burke, which was the younger brother, and the dad, which was John. The body was found less than eight hours after the murder inside the utility room of the basement in the house, which was, um, the body was found by John, which was the dad. And her body had duct tape around her mouth and a smooth, like, a phone cord, for example, around the neck. And the crime scene was heavily disrupted and kind of dismantled and tainted from people going in and out of the house. And the police did not really search the house after Patsy's initial call because really they had no reason to believe that the body was inside the house. So when Patsy called the police, she had told them that her daughter had been kidnapped. And usually when there's a kidnapping, that implies that the child or whoever has been kidnapped had been taken out of the house and they are elsewhere. So police kind of, I guess, tiptoed around it and they didn't really think that there was any reason to go into the house or search anything in or around the house. They bumbled the search. Yeah, they really bumbled. Yeah, they did. It was Christmas Day and they had a bunch of rookies working and this was like a really wealthy really high profile family. So they didn't want to have to come in and be like, absolutely not get out of your home. Your six year old's missing leave. Like they mm-hmm. didn't come in and say that shit, which like they should have, but they were, I mean, it. what are you going to do when like one of the wealthiest, most high profile families has a child missing? You're not going to come in and be like, get the fuck out. Let us find your kid. Right. And it was like I said, Christmas day. So Everyone who's, if you know anything about, like, the way police departments work, like, if you're low on the totem pole, you're working on holidays. Right. So, mm-hmm. like, they they didn't know what to do. They didn't tell them, stop walking around. They didn't say, no, your friends can't be here. Like, mm-hmm. they, the family was all over the house. The fact that her father found her, unacceptable. Unacceptable. In an area of the house that was not previously searched by police, mm-hmm. what, eight hours after the call? Like, unacceptable. They just... They fucked the investigation LAPD style. Right. Don't at me. LAPD (laughs) sucks. No. So there's a lot of, like, background with the LAPD and the amount of investigations that they have absolutely fucked up. But one of the main ones that they fucked up is one of my favorite ones, which would be, like, Richard Ramirez. Mm -hmm. Richard Ramirez, for example. Um, The LAPD, no matter who is working there, who, their bosses, whatever, they have a very deep history of fucking up and botching investigations. And this is... Like, on that level. Yeah, it's on that level. So the Boulder Police Department are on the level with the LAPD in botching the investigation because it was Christmas Eve slash Christmas Day. And it was kind of, like, on the border of that. And they didn't really want to go in and investigate fully what was going on. So the scene was, again, highly disrupted by the amount of people going in and out of the house. And at this time of the death of Jean Bonnet... It was ruled a homicide. Jean Monnet was actually on her way to becoming a well-decorated pageant competitor. 
And that kind of made the death very visible and high profile throughout the community. And that's kind of what it made it explode throughout the nation, which is kind of what we touched on before, where it was on magazines, all throughout magazine stands, kind of throughout the country. So moving on, the autopsy found that she was killed by being bludgeoned to death in the head. However, the county coroner stated that she died of asphyxiation from being strangled. So there was kind of a contradictory there. Um, At the crime scene, it was discovered that a paintbrush from Patsy's painting kit was used to tighten the rope around her neck. And there was DNA around in and around her underwear and long johns, which she wore as pajamas, along with bludgeoning her head with an unidentified object. And there was an unidentified male whose DNA was found in her underwear. And as of 2004, there was over 1.5 million samples of DNA tested. And none of those samples of DNA were found inside of her underwear. So the DNA that was sampled was from convicted offenders and convicted sex offenders. So none of that DNA was found, like, in and or on the crime scene. There was also... You know, with all, like, the Ancestry.com, like, DNA kits and stuff like that, mm-hmm. now, like, someday it's com- it's gonna come to light. Like, somebody's sister, and then they have, like, half of their matching DNA or something like that. Yeah. I hope so. So, I, like, okay, so as I was doing this, I actually have Ancestry DNA. Like, I submitted my DNA to them, and I had it mm-hmm. done. And I was thinking that exact same thing when uh-huh. I was, like, because... Okay, so they de- they update their DNA profiles and their science every once in a while, and I get emails from that. And I was thinking yep. that as I was doing this case, it's like, okay, the DNA was sampled in her underwear. She's bludgeoned to death. There's nothing been found as far as, like, the system that tests DNA as far as convicted sex offenders or convicted offenders goes. Mm-hmm. But what if... What of other people that are not necessarily convicted, but we have their DNA? Well, that's, yeah, that's, like, the issue, is that a lot of people don't have their DNA in a database. Right, right. So, I think that, that hopefully that eventually comes out. I don't know if it Mm -hmm. will. I don't have a lot of hope for that, but, Mm -hmm. like, hopefully it will. Um, There were also two unidentified footprints found at the scene and a rope from the scene that did not belong to the Ramseys, and as of 2006... That rope has never been tested for any sort of DNA. Um, and I know that that's like, what, 16 years ago? Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure if it has been tested <clears throat> as of now. Um, I couldn't really find research on that, but after the, as of 2006, it had never been tested. It was also noted there was no sign of abnormal activity around the house, like footprints in the snow. Keep in mind, this was Boulder, Boulder, Colorado in, I mean, December. So there was snow and there was no sign of any footprints around the house. And there were two unidentified prints found inside the house, but no forced entry. So I'm not really sure what to think of that, but we'll touch on that later. There was also a um, a ransom note found. Now, looking at the ransom note, it was requested that one hundred and eighteen thousand um, dollars was requested in exchange for Jean Benet. 
And this number is significant because it was also very close to the amount of money that Jean Benet, or sorry, not Jean Benet, John received as a bonus that year for his job. And the note reads, and I'm going to read the entire note. It's a very feel, long. It's a very, it it's a long <laughs> note, but I feel like it's an important note because like it's, really it is. nothing, every single part of this note is important because it's very odd. Everything in this note is very odd yes. and very specific. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. haven't really heard a podcast that reads the entire note. And I just feel like it's important. So the note reads, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want want to see her in 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure you, that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting and I advise that you be rested. If we monitor you're getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence and earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied of remains of a proper, proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you do not predict provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police or FBI, will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned, we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think the killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you, John. Victory. S-B-T-C. Okay. Mm. So, looking at the letter, there are a lot of grammatical and spelling mistakes, Mm. and it's, like, kind of hard to read because it's not... It's not grammatically correct, and it's not immediately what the brain would expect you to read in sequence. It's difficult to read. So, there's, like, a lot to unpack here. And it's incredibly detailed and very strange. In the details that it gives. Mm-hmm. I found it to be, like, kind of campy. Like, yeah, the way that it's delivered. The it's extra just, shit that they it's put on. It's, like, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, why did you add in? Like, the beheading part yeah. and the fact of calling John a fat cat. I feel like it's very campy. Yeah. Like, something you would see in, like, RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, right. And it's, it's like, if this were a... 
ransom note that was in a movie, we'd be like, okay, what the like, fuck? We don't believe yeah, it for yeah. a second. Yeah. Which, I mean, in this case, I don't believe it for a second. It's just like, so when I was writing this out and like reading it, it's hard to read because everything is... Most of it is grammatically incorrect, mm-hmm. and it doesn't read how you, like, your brain is triggered to expect to You're read like something normal cadence. a certain way. Yeah. Yes. And it's hard to read because your brain doesn't expect to read it that way. If that it's also makes pretty sense. bad handwriting. Yes. And, and we'll touch what on up, that. Patsy? Yeah, we'll touch on that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but there's, like, a lot to unpack in that ransom letter. So it's incredibly detailed, and it has very strange details, and... It's signed SBTC, and those initials still remain a mystery to this day. And the scariest fact about the strange note is that it's written in the house using a pen and paper that belonged to the Ramses. Mm-hmm. So what note strikes me as is someone that was trying to write as if they were uneducated mm-hmm. and were pulling from like some good 50s or 60s crime movies yeah. because when i think was it a uh, big cat or fat, fat cat fat cat yeah. Yeah. there mm-hmm. we go that's exactly what they referred to like gangsters as uh-huh. right cats yeah. and as i was doing my research i was like reading it and i was like this is hard to read because it's not a natural cadence like daniel said mm-hmm. of what you would expect to read like now you know what i mean right. it's it's just it's very strange kind of so, cobbled together yes it's, it's just like, like what the fuck the is a small strange. foreign Oh, yes. Like, come the fuck it's very, it's very hard to read and very strange to read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the pen and paper used what actually belonged to the Ramses. And this specific detail actually brought a lot of speculation to the validity of the note and the story that the Ramses gave to police. If the note were written by an intruder, it would mean that the intruder broke in with an unforced entry, so they have a key or whatever skill that need to break into a house. Um, and they found a pen and paper, wrote the note in the house, and then instead of holding JonBenet for ransom, they decided to kill her instead. Which seems like a very big stretch to me. Yeah, because they're trying to get money. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Also, yeah. wasn't there like didn't they find like a like two drafts or something or like they found? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we'll touch on that later. Um. But yes, they did. So either instead of so either they wrote the note, and instead of holding her ransom, they decided to kill her instead, or they killed her. Then they wrote the ransom note as a like some sort of distraction tactic. So all of this happened while the Ramses were in the home and asleep, which is like, I don't know. And not it's believable to, to think that you're going to take the time to write like a fucking three page ransom. Right. Exactly. While you have a, a child either tied up or dead mm-hmm. and, and everyone's in the home. I mean, right, right. No, and Plus, like that was a huge house and it was a nice house. Like, tell me they didn't have ADT or Right, yeah. Like, I know it was the 90s, but you had nothing. Right, and, like, granted, the house was fairly large. It was a big house. Like, they had money. It was a big house. But if someone were to break in, take the time to either kill her and write the note or write the note and kill her, 
with people in the house, not necessarily awake, but in the house, that's a really big risk to take. Additionally, yeah. there, like you said, there were practice ransom notes found along with the final note. And the final note has misspellings in it in really weird, like, grammatical errors. And the words that are easy to, easy to spell, like possession, are misspelled. However, words that are difficult to spell, like attache with an accent over the E, are spelled correctly. Yeah, like, like that's well, very who strange. uses the word attache? No one. Like, I, if someone was like, could you bring me my attache? I'd be like, do you like, want your fuck fucking you dresser about? from your closet? Bless like, you. I don't know what attache <laughs> is. Right. It's, right. it's just, it's a, all in all, it's a very strange note. The evidence surrounding the note is very strange. The grammar, the spelling, the fact that there was. Um, a practice note written, and the fact that it was used, used it was wrote, written using items that were already in the house is very strange to yeah, me. Yeah, that's not typical. Right. And the lack of evidence of an intruder, the weird letter, the odd misspellings, the body being in the house, all add up to something kind of like really fishy going on. And many people believe it added up to be either hoax or a cover-up. Um, so now we're going to kind of dive into the suspense the suspects now that we know kind of what went on with the murder so the first person we're going to touch on and we're kind of gonna go on this of like low pro low profile suspects to like high profile suspects so first we're gonna start with bill reynolds which was like the sandals suspect so he visited the house two days before the murder and he was known to dress up as santa and he kind of like he was a Santa. So, like, odd coincidence, I guess. Anthony's uncle was also a Santa. And there's, like, a club or a card you get Ew. for being a Santa. Like a, like a clown? Yes. Kind of like a, um, you can become, like, a legitimate Santa. Mm -hmm. Like, a professional Santa. A professional it's a Santa. Santa. It's a thing. Have, like... Yeah. They have clubs and associations and stuff like that. So I think that this, so I read a lot of articles and watched a couple, me and Nicole watched a documentary on this and I watched a couple other documentary on, documentaries on this and I think that mm -hmm. he was part of that club. But so he was a Santa and his own daughter had been kidnapped 22 years prior and his wife even wrote a play Ooh. about a child being a child being molested and then murdered in a basement. Oh, yuck. Yes. What? Yes. I did why not is that know a, that. Why is that a play that anyone would ever want to I see? I have no idea, but um, yeah. So this guy, Bill Reynolds, he was a Santa his um, daughter, yeah, like I said, had been kidnapped and his wife wrote, wife wrote a play about his daughter who had been murdered. Um, in a statement from the Denver Post, Bill felt, quote, close to Jean Benet, and Bill stated, quote, her murder was harder on me than my operation, which he had a medical operation, and she had made a profound change in me, quote. The operation he is referring to is a heart surgery that he had, in which he had actually brought a vial of glitter Jean Benet had gifted to him. He brought that into heart surgery. Oh, yuck! Yeah, like, if this is just, like, a random dude in the community, and Jean Benet has met him, like, let's say even five times. That's weird. 
Okay, so. And, like, I don't think this man had anything to do with it. I'm so sorry he gets dragged into it, but, like, mm-hmm. it's very high profile. Of course, we're going to talk about him. I I do not think in any world he had anything to do with it, but, like, that's a little weird. Yeah. That's very so, weird. So, yeah. like, so the vial of glitter, which in my mind I picture purple glitter for some reason. I just <laughs> picture, like, a tube of glitter from, like, Hobby Lobby. <laughs> so it was meaning mm-hmm. to him because, really, because no child, and I, like, in my mind I picture this old man being a Santa for a very long time. No child had ever gifted him anything oh, while playing Santa, except for Jean Bidet. bad for him. Right. He even asked his wife to mix the glitter with his ashes if he were to die. And oh, is it creepy? Don't yes. like that. Is it murder material? I don't think no. so. He's an old man playing Santa, and there was literally no evidence at all to suggest that he had anything to do with the murder. Except for the fact that that's, like, a little cringy. It's just weird. I mean, and, like, I've thought about this so many times. Like, if I were to ever get murdered, there's a goddamn laundry list of people that would need to be investigated. You know, like, people who are, like, a little bit weird but definitely wouldn't kill me. Like, the, you know, random guys that I randomly talk to. Like, things like that that Mm -hmm. I'm, like, yeah, these are, like, the dudes that I talk to, like, every couple of days that would have to be investigated. And like, I'm so sorry for them if some of them are like just kind of odd and have to be investigated. But like, yeah, sometimes people are just a little strange. That doesn't make them a murderer. I don't know. What do you mm-hmm. think, Bree? Do you think that the, is it just like, he's like a sentimental old man or is that really truly like fucking creepy? Um, I think maybe just in this context, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, if this hadn't happened, everyone would think it's heartwarming. Um, One thing I was actually thinking about when you were telling us about that is, like, um, I was actually thinking of the Grinch. Mm -hmm. When the Grinch comes in and Cindy Lou wakes up and she's like, oh, you're Santa? Like, I was thinking, like, what if he came to their house and she let him in because he was dressed as Santa? I don't know. But I'm not sure. Yeah. I know that's kind of the thing. It's like she was a little girl. Like, yeah. we, I feel like we almost forget that. Like, she was a baby. Like, she was so little. So, like, there's no signs of forced entry, but like, what there needed to be. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very creepy. Mm-hmm. So, the next suspect that we're going to focus on is Gary Oliva. And every time I read it, I want to say Olivia. Olivia. <laughs> but it's Oliva. So if I don't say Oliva, I mean, sorry. Um, so Gary Oliva, he lived a few blocks away from the Ramsey house at the time of the murder. And um, so the murder happened in 1996. In December of 2000, he was found to be carrying a photo of Jean Bonnet in his backpack when he was arrested on unrelated drug charges. And he stated he had the pick in Denver Post because, quote, JonBenet's murder touched me very deeply. She was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument, a shrine, to remember this little girl. End quote. Mm, I mean, again, it's just uh, like a guy who's fucking creepy. It's cringy. Like, it's just creepy. But like, does creepy necessarily does it mean... No. Creepy dude doesn't equal murderer right as much as i truly wish that it did and like i've encountered a lot of creepy dudes yeah like especially 
Brie doing hair, we've encountered a lot of creepy dudes. Does it, does oh, yeah. it mean you're a murderer? Not necessarily. No. But um, to add to this, in 2016, Oliva was actually arrested for child porn charges. Additionally, one of Gary's friends, Michael Vale, stated in an in an interview with Untouch magazine, which, I mean, it's take in it, touch. take it with a grain of salt. A large yeah, salt big rock, old, big old salt, a big old chunk. salt chunk. <laughs> um, he stated to In Touch magazine that the day of the murder, Oliva called him and said, "Quote, I hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl," and then hung up. End quote. Oliva also told Vale that he did this in Boulder, Colorado. Then Oliva, like I said, like hung up the phone after he said he heard a little girl. And this is important because there was no other reports of any little girls, boy or girl, being harmed in the Boulder, Colorado area at the night of the strangulation um, that happened. And there was no, no notes or anything brought up of the strangulation method that was used on Jean Monnet at the same time. Um, and Oliva had actually used the same strangulation method that was used on Jean Monnet at the time when he attempted to kill his mother, he used a phone cord. So there is no, there is no call that came into the Boulder, Colorado, other than Jean Monnet, that someone had been strangled, but the method that had been used, Oliva had previously used on his own mother. So that's weird, but... And it's creepy, mm-hmm. and he's a creep. But is that a reason to suspect him? I'm not <sighs> sure. And and it's like you're taking the word of first in touch magazine, right? And second of this, Michael Vale. You know, did he say this? Like, who is this guy? Is he reputable? Did he say this because he was trying to, you know, get a you know a jailhouse plea? Like, I don't know. Was he a good person? Was he a reliable person was he a shady person i i don't know maybe someone knows maybe that's reported somewhere but like when someone comes forward and is like oh my friend said this like you can't automatically be like believe it yes right is there a record of a call like that coming in or did he just say that so there is a record of the call from patsy to the boulder colorado police department there is a phone record of oliva calling Vale. But that's it. We don't know what was said. It's not recorded. So the only thing that is known about this is what we hear from In Touch. And what we don't know exactly is any part of the story, aside from proving that there was no other strangulations that were called into the Boulder Police Department that night. And since this was a, quote, exclusive interview with In Touch, which we don't really know if Vale was compensated for or not. We don't really know if it's true. We just know that Vale stated that Oliva called him, say, I heard a girl, I heard a girl, and it was in Boulder. And we know that the strangulation method was the same on Jean Monnet as Oliva had used on his mother previously to try and kill his mother. And also, there was no DNA evidence that matched Oliva at the crime scene. So, Oliva was officially exonerated because his DNA evidence, or his DNA did not match any evidence that was at Jamini's crime scene. But we also know that they suck at getting DNA. Right. So, basically, mm-hmm. he's a creep, 
but not likely the murderer, but we don't really know. Do you just want to hear like a really gross, like just thing? Yes. Um, <laughs> Always so yes. I was listening to a podcast, I believe it was Morbid, and they covered um, the survival story of Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina mm-hmm. De Jesus. Gina Davis. De Jesus. De Jesus. <laughs> De Jesus. I don't know how you pronounce it, whatever. But they said that, like, Ariel Castro said to one of them, like, I wish I would have been able to get to Jean Benet before someone killed her. Because he was, like, a That's gross-ass pedophile. Ew. Like, he, Ariel Castro was, like, the scum of the motherfucking earth. But that mm-hmm. he said to one of them at one point, like, I wish I would have had a chance to get to that Jean Benet Ramsey. That is creepy as fuck. Yuck. That is creepy as fuck. I know. Well, because that whole thing happened in, what, like, the early 2000s, like. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, he, like. Was that um, Ohio or something? Yeah, they lived in, like, that house for forever. Yeah. Yuck. Horrifying. But, yeah, he, I guess, said, like, God, I wish I would have had a chance at her. And it's, like, sick. The thing about The thing about JonBenet that creeps me out now more than it, like, did previously is that, like, I have a kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I have a fucking yeah. kid. Yeah. And that, it it really, like, it takes me into protective mama bear, mama bear overdrive. Yeah. When I mm-hmm. research this stuff, because we're immersed in it day in and day out researching this stuff. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. gives me out. I bet. Yeah. I bet. So, the next suspect that we're going to look at is John Mark Carr. So Carr was a former teacher who became a suspect almost 10 years, so in two, almost 2006. Um, so almost 10 years after the murder, when he just randomly confessed via email to, journalis- to a journalism professor by the name of Michael Tracy. I remember mm-hmm. that. So he met Tracy after reaching out to him regarding some random documentary that Tracy was making. And they ended up having conversations back and forth for almost four years. And Tracy said he kind of kept in touch, I guess, with Carr in order to gain his trust. I don't really know why he felt like, I the wonder need. if he thought he needed to. There's really, like, I couldn't find documentation or any research that said why Tracy felt the need to stay in touch with Carr. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't Bree, know. do you have you ever heard anything of why Tracy felt the need to stay in touch with him? No, probably just to in case he ever said anything crazy. To me, a, then he'd have a scoop. To me, it sounds like Carr was like kind of an interesting person and he kept on coming back with something new and Tracy felt the need to dig in deeper. It's kind of what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um like he just knows like this dude is like a treasure trove of like weird shit so right right so tracy said that the conversation back and forth with Carr, all of it via email was like quote reading and hearing a truly dark side of the human psyche Mm. and having to pretend it's okay and i wasn't going to sit in judgment because otherwise communication would have been stopped it was the worst experience of my life by far it was horrible Uh. end quote so clearly, Carr is a fucked up human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in the email sent by Carr, he used similar verbiage that was in that weird Ramson note that we read 
previously that was kind of like hard to use or hard to read. And he used nicknames that Patsy had called her mom previously, which no one knew about. Um, eventually, Carr confessed to the murder, actually, of Jean Bonnet via email to Tracy. On August 16, 2008, authorities were able to track down Carr in Bangkok, Thailand, where he flew to um, escape child porn charges that he actually had in California. And a few months after this confession, a formal apology was issued to Jean Bonnet um, for the suspicion that the family had lived with, with the charges or the speculation all of these years. And the police department formally said that nobody in the Ramsey family is considered a suspect. Carr's DNA did not match any of the DNA found at the scene. Therefore, he was not charged with the murder, but the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, they actually do continue to investigate Carr. Um, they're always going to continue to investigate Carr, as he always stated in his emails back and forth to Tracy that he did not act alone. And there were, I mean, obviously, after all, like I stated previously, two sets of unidentified footprints that were at the scene. Um, so I guess that does give slight validity to Carr being a suspect, but his DNA wasn't at the scene. So, yeah. And like everything I've heard about this guy is like a lot of things will say that, you know, he went to Thailand to escape his child pornography charges in California. And then he got to Thailand and got into trouble and realized, oh my fuck. Thai jail is way better than U.S. jail or way worse than U.S. jail. So like, oh my God, I've made a mistake because now I have to go to jail in fucking Thailand where like I don't have the rights that I have as a U.S. citizen in America and wanted to come back. So that's like one of the theories about him confessing that I've heard is that he was like, oh shit, I need to get back to the U.S. and like even going to the United States as and going to prison as the killer of Jean Bonnet as basically like a pedophile would be better than me staying in a jail in Thailand. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I don't put a lot of stock in his confession. He just seems like a fucking creep. He's just, yeah. He just seems like a creep who confessed out of nowhere. And um, the Boulder Police Department, however corrupt they were, they interviewed Carr and they found, granted this was like 10 years later, um, the police chief said that they knew after 18 hours of interrogation that Carr was not the guy mm -hmm. that did it. Um, and his confession did not match anything that happened at the scene. Yep. Additionally, it was found that he wasn't even in Colorado at the time of the murder. He was in Georgia. Therefore, he's literally just another creep who didn't commit the murder, mm -hmm. who, like, seemed like he would fit the bill, but he doesn't. Really, it's just like a bunch of creepy guys. Yeah, so far, who, like that. they want like the like the street cred, the street kind of yeah. committing the Jamaican uh, murder. It's disgusting. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, and yeah, it creeps me out. Again, yeah. having a daughter, there are people like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the juicy stuff mm -hmm. of Patsy Ramsey. Okay. So, early in the case, the Ramseys were, like, under a lot of pressure regarding if this was an actual inside job. And I feel weird saying if it was an inside or an outside job because that seems like, like there's a mob going on. But really, truly, is it an inside job with a family or an outside job where the family wasn't really connected? 
But there was someone else that like broke in, which is the couple suspects that we talked about earlier. So a popular opinion is that Patsy, the mom, killed Jean Bonnet. And there's actually a lot of people who agree with this theory. So there's a lot of Nicole, you believe that Patsy killed her. (laughs) Um, So there's actually a lot of reasons to support this. As mentioned before, Patsy put a lot of pressure on Jamini to be, quote, perfect. And this is no doubt put a lot of pressure on the entire family, but most importantly, a lot of anxiety on the kid, which is Jean-Benet herself. And in the book Jean-Benet, Inside the Ramsey Murder Investigation, a former Boulder, Boulder, Colorado police detective who spent almost two years investigating the case says that um, he and other investigators concluded that the six-year-old girl, Jean Monnet, had been killed by her mother, Patsy Ramsey. The detective, Steve Thomas, who actually resigned from the police department in like mid-1998, so about two years after this murder happened, he writes that he concluded that Mrs. Ramsey strangled her daughter in a panic on Christmas night of 1996 after accidentally causing a serious wound to Jean-Benet's head. He also yeah, says remember. that the girl's father, John Ramsey, after realizing what the fuck had happened, quote, chose to protect his wife, unquote, rather than help the police determine what had happened. So the mm-hmm. conclusion that um, Detective Tom- Thomas came to was that Mrs. Ramsey had grown frustrated and flustered by um, the events of Christmas of 1996 because of a, quote, approaching 40th birthday, the busy holiday season, and the exhausting Christmas day, and an argument with Jean Bonnet, quote, over bedwetting led to some sort of explosive encounter in the child's bedroom. So kind of what we know is that there is a lot of pressure on the mom Patsy over making sure that the party was right, John was right, Jean Bonnet, who had a lot of pressure on her over like beauty pageants and being kind of perfect, the perfect little girl. There was a lot of pressure on the entire family of Christmas of 1996 to go correctly. And after the bedwetting incident, there was some sort of explosive encounter in Jean Bonnet's bedroom that resulted in a fatal head wound to Jean Bonnet. How this happened, we'll kind of get into with Patsy and then later on with another suspect. Um, and we previously brought up the anxiety and pressure that Jean Bonnet was under regarding her pageant career. And there's major red flags in signs of stress with toddlers and young children's, or sorry, in young children. And those include, um, like bedwetting and stomach aches and toddlers, once they can kind of reach a certain, certain age and speak for themselves, they can speak up for themselves. But still, as a six-year-old who may be under stress and anxiety, they don't really speak up for themselves. And mm-hmm. having a kid, like, going through a lot of stress, stomach aches, and bedwetting is a huge sign of anxiety in a kid. And, like, having a kid, yeah. I can't help but think about that. Like, that's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah, and, like, Patsy, I mean, she was a beauty queen. Like, her mm-hmm. life was built on her her beauty and her ability to be like desirable to people. And so like, she obviously projected that onto Jean Bonnet 
And then, like they said, like 40th birthday. Like that's a big, for someone who's like extraordinarily vain like that, turning 40 is a huge deal. So I see this. I totally get it. You know, she's like, holy shit, my life's over. My kid, I need to live vicariously through my child from now on. And maybe JonBenet is not living up to that. And it's like, what What do you do? I can see her totally flying off the handle very easily, very quickly. And, you know, then let's say this is what happened. What do you do? What do you do? You call the cops and say, I killed my kid? No, you cover the fuck up. Right. Like, of mm-hmm. course you do. Of course you do. Yeah. So... Thinking back on all of that, like, there was a lot of pressure on Christmas, 40th birthday, JonBenet being perfect. She had won five beauty pageants prior to that, and she's bedwetting. That's, on top of all of that, a wet bed, like, thinking of it from a mom perspective, it's inconvenient, right? So, Mm -hmm. that happening, I can see how that would push Patsy over the edge, Mm -hmm. but over the edge to murder there has to be something else. There has to be something else going on. So um, there's no doubt that Patsy was pushing Jean Benet to be perfect. And like personally, I believe that Patsy was pushing Jean Benet to be something that she never was or never could and be. And never wanted to be. Right. She wanted to be a six-year-old girl. Right. Exactly. That's kind of like how we take Patsy at this point is like she was pushing JonBenet to be something that she never could or wanted to be, but maybe her parents wanted her to be. Um, but Thomas says he concluded that while JonBenet's head was probably injured by accident, Mrs. Ramsey, rather than getting help out of this whole anger situation, panicked after her daughter fell unconscious and her falling unconscious led Patsy to write a note, which was the ransom note that we read previously, suggesting that JonBenet had been kidnapped, after which she, quote, faced the major problem of what to do with the body. Um, it was at this point where the accident kind of turned to murder. He says that on the way to placing her in a secluded room, which was the utility room in the basement, Patsy realized that JonBenet was still alive. So she hadn't actually died after she had been struck in the head. Only feet away from the paint tote, it's believed that from Thomas that Patsy grabbed a paintbrush from her paint her like little paint tote that she had close by in Fashion de Garote. I think that sounds pretty nice. Garot. 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 Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A garot with some cord. Um, then she looped the cord around the girl's neck and to make it look like a kidnapping, he tied the girl's wrists and put tape over her mouth. So it looked, it, it really made it look like a kidnapping with the yeah. tape, the wrists, the neck, the ransom note. It really made it look like no one in the house would have done it. Yeah, because how do you do that to your family member? How do you do that with your kid? And fuck. There are a lot of reports that, okay, so Patsy Ramsey has since passed, but there are a lot of reports that say Patsy Ramsey had suffered from bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of that, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. Also, just because you have bipolar does not mean that you will be a murderer. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. It is definitely not state that you're going to be a murderer. It doesn't prove that you're going to be a murderer. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a murderer. Right. Given that 
Patsy was under a lot of stress. Jean Bonnet was under a lot of mm-hmm. stress. There was a lot of stuff going on. There was clearly a lot of tension going on in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and given mental illness, as someone who suffers from ent- mental illness, I could des- definitely see how that could all be stacked up. Definitely. Um, just snowballing. It's just, yeah, it's a really big snowball and just something very major happening. What the truth is regarding Patsy, I don't think we'll ever find out, but it's definitely like, she's a huge suspect as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Have you heard the 911 call? Oh, I oh, have. The 911 call. So to me, the 911 call sounds very staged. Alarming to say the least. Yes. It sounds very the, staged. The thing that stuck out to me where she <sighs> says, I'm the mother. Yep. I'm yeah, the like, mother. Like, you're distancing yourself from The it. shit like that that she says, like, it's... Yep. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. The way that she says things does yes. not make sense. The word mother, to me, is very separated. Mm-hmm. That's a very, like... Also, the mother, not... The. Not her I'm mother. her mother. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think if I were to, like, call 911 and be like, oh my god, I'm her mom. Like, that's what I would say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm her mom. Yeah. Like, sometimes Everly says, hi, mother. And I'm like, that's creepy as fuck. Why are you mother? It's like, it's, it's, it's a very odd. Yeah, it's a very, like, formal. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what you would say if you were, like, pissed off. If you were, like, fighting with someone, you're like, no, I'm right. her mother. This is the choice I make as her mother. That's, like, mm-hmm. a serious, thought out, like, formal way of saying it not when you're emotional like if you were emotionally fighting about your daughter you'd be like no i'm her mom i am her mom you wouldn't say i'm the mother i'm the mother like yeah. when you're mm-hmm. emotional specifically that's not how you speak yeah right like, how often do you say mother like i never say mother. i never call my mom mother I, except also, when i'm like joking her first call was not to 911 i don't believe wasn't it to like a friend or? Well, yeah, they like or called all their friends and mm-hmm. had their friends come over mm-hmm. before they called them. Yeah, over. right. Yeah, Which, no. And there's like some weird like back dialogue in the nine one one call. Like you can hear her talking in the background. You can hear like Burke and John Ramsey talking in the background. Like, and them telling. I'm pretty sure. I guess like don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they're telling Burke to go back to bed. Yep. Like go like get out of here and then mm-hmm. when they give their official statement it's like no we're the only ones up yep so i don't know and is that like little shit that you just lie about as a parent like or just don't remember correctly because it was right traumatic. do they think in the moment of like no like because yeah he came downstairs and we were like go back to bed get out of here does that count as he was up i don't know on a normal night no on the night of your child's abduction slash murder it might matter it probably it it probably does matter right so it's just little shit like that that's like it's so under a microscope how can you not think about it i just feel like if if i were to find my daughter's body there is nothing that i would want to lie about there is nothing nothing that i would want to leave out Mm -hmm. because i want the truth i want it to be solved i want every single detail to be looked at and investigated. Right. Like, under a fucking microscope. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want anything Agreed. to be left unturned. And I don't know. Like, listening to her, I have listened to her call, and listening to it, it sounds very staged. Yeah. To me. Well, kind of like how the note looks like it. The note looks... Mm, the note's yes. bullshit. 
Right. What? So next we're going to get to Burke Ramsey, which was the son. So <laughs> Burke Ramsey is a suspect due to a piece of pineapple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Science, y'all. Science. Science. So the night of, of the murder, it is said that Jean Bonnet took a piece of pineapple that Burke left on the table and he was eating, y'all ready for this? Pineapple and milk. Like, that's not a thing. That is disgusting. That's really gross. That's not a thing. Okay, so I've heard of, like, strawberries and milk with a little Mm -hmm. sugar. But that's, like, strawberry milk. Right. Okay, Nicole fucks with it. Yeah, Nicole fucks with it. Blueberries and milk, even? So, Burke allegedly got angry with her for taking a piece of his pineapple, which led him to strike her in the head with a nearby metal flashlight that was on the kitchen counter um, that you can see in crime scene photos. And he struck her in the head out of anger. And the case for this is that there was an undigested piece of pineapple in her stomach that was found during the autopsy. Also, the blunt force trauma that was on her skull fit the flashlight, which is like eight and a half inches, that he would have used absolutely like perfectly and you can actually see like i said this flashlight in the crime scene photos in the pictures that was taken in the kitchen finally there was wounds on jamine's back that were initially thought to have been formed from like a sun gun or a taser however they were consistent with the edges of one of burke's toy trains like the um, the track the tracks that are on him Mm -hmm. And a theory is that Burke took the train to poke her, like, poke and prod at her body after she died to see if she's really dead, Mm -hmm. which is creepy to me to think about. Like, killing your sister and then poking at her to see if she's dead. No, but, like... She was nine, though. Right. Yeah. And, like, how hard... How hard would you have had to poke? Yeah, that's the weird thing, is, like, what was he doing to her unless he's just, like, a real fucked up dude. So the um the documentary on Netflix that Nicole and I watched was Killing John Bonet. Yeah, Killing John Bonet. Or Casting John Bonet. Yes, Casting yeah. John Bonet. We had eight year old boys take a bat to a watermelon and they would just like slam it and see if they could break it to see if they could initiate like the force that would take to fracture Jamine's skull and it's definitely possible mm-hmm. so given that along with the train tracks like it's possible for an eight-year-old to have that much strength to inflict that wound whether it happened or not i'm not fucking sure yeah and it's like does he have some like pent-up anger hatred rage right. toward her jealousy i could see yeah, jealousy, jealousy yes. because i mean she was the golden child like he was mm-hmm. older than her, yet her name was, was Jean Benet Patricia Ramsey. Okay, right. dad, Mom, dad dad was John Bennett Ramsey. Mom mm-hmm. Patricia Ramsey. Like she got her parents' names. She was the golden. She child. got the fame. She was a golden child, and she was mm-hmm. the second born. So he probably was like, "What the fuck am I?" Jealousy. I mean, there's got to be jealousy there. Yeah. Yep. And after like Big five time. major awards that she won, like I could, and she said, "Definitely." I mean. The world that mm-hmm. she's about to go into, the life she's about to live, mm-hmm. and he's like, I mean, fuck me. Right. Like, absolutely. Big time jealousy. Right. And, and I, he's a kid. 
He's nine. He doesn't know. He's in what? Fucking fourth grade. Right. He doesn't fucking know. Do you know a fourth grader? Like, they can't comprehend the world. I was in fourth grade when 9-11 happened. I, like, to this day, like, thoughts of 9-11, like, bring me to tears. Mm-hmm. In fourth grade, like, I saw that shit happen and I was like, oh, wow. Like, you don't like, comprehend you know something is happening. things that are happening in the world mm-hmm. and, and, like, life and death. You don't get it. Right. Like, he was a fourth grader. At, he doesn't I mean, know. No, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Right. So, that being said, and many theories do point to John and Patsy actually covering up for Burke by staging the ransom note and the kidnapping plot once they found out what Burke had done, uh-huh. whether it be out of jealousy or an accident or a combination of both. Um, a lot of people believe that John and Patsy together kind of staged the ransom uh-huh. note and what had happened to cover for him. And throughout the years, there have been a lot of TV shows and specials on the topic. And I feel like most famously, especially recently, was The Case of Jean Benet, which was hosted by Dr. Phil. I fucking love mm-hmm. Dr. Phil. Yep. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this put the spotlight on Burke. And basically, they accused him of murder. Mm-hmm. Like, when it comes down to it, that special accused him of murder. Mm-hmm. And the team of of investigators featured in the case of ultimately concluded that Burt killed Jean Monnet. And they analyzed many pieces of evidence and, like, fragments of pineapple found in Jean Monnet's stomach after her death. And Burke's taped interviews with police and child psychologists and the ransom note and a lot more that they kind of like kind of dived into if you were to watch the actual episode on it. And it was actually a three part series. And Burke again maintained that he was innocent. And he said, quote, you won't find any evidence because that's not what happened. I know I didn't do it, end quote. And Burke also told Dr. Phil that he believes, quote, a pedophile who saw her in one of the pageants, quote, did it. And Burke says that one of those pedophiles broke into the Ramsey's home and killed Jean Monnet. So to like kind of wrap this all up, throughout all of the episodes, investigations and interviews and solid evidence and documentation that has been given most detectives on the case not all but most believe that given all of the evidence what happened during christmas of 1996 in the ramsey home is more consistent with an intruder with the intent of child abduction and murder rather than someone from the family meaning John or Patsy or Burke staging the abduction and the murder and writing a false note. Additionally, the DNA evidence, if you want to talk about like hard evidence from the crime scene, officially exonerated the Ramsey family along with Oliva. Carr wasn't there. The Santa guy really doesn't have a lot to do with it. Uh-uh. It exonerates it. In the show that, what is it, Casting Jaminet, like we said, that Nicole and I watched, it talked about, um, so there is DNA evidence in Jaminet's underwear, right? Mm-hmm. It talked about John sexually assaulting Jaminet, Patsy walking in on it, and she chose to defend her husband, I believe, Ugh. rather than her daughter I... and striking Jaminet <sighs> in the head. So there's a lot of different scenarios. Uh, no. 
You don't think that? I th- I no. believe that John is like kind of an innocent bystander in all this, and he's like, whatever is going on, is yeah, going on. yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. So, like, the only thing that like pulls me away from like the family theory is the DNA evidence in her underwear, and like, you hate to think this way, but like, what if a sexual assault on Jamine is completely unrelated, like? They were at a Christmas party that night. Yeah. So if she was being sexually assaulted by somebody not in her family, not in their close group, this was happening like totally on the side that no one or or this happened one night. So one of the things that I read when researching this whole thing, which like it's a lot, is when it comes to manufacturing underwear, Mm -hmm. people are touching that underwear constantly. Mm -hmm. They took DNA from multiple sets of underwear straight out of the package and unidentified DNA was found in multiple pairs of underwear. The DNA found wasn't semen. It was just unidentified DNA. That's true. They never said it's semen. It was never, it was never Mm -hmm. semen. There was not semen found. I feel weird saying semen a lot, but (laughs) like, like seriously true. Like to the case, it was never semen. It was just DNA. Yeah. I think whatever the DNA in the underwear, I think that's unrelated. Mm -hmm. To the documentation and the investigations that I found, when you investigate a pair of unopened DNA, the manufacturers and the people making the underwear, packaging the underwear, Mm -hmm. whatever, their DNA gets in it, yeah. and the DNA that was in her underwear is unidentified. No one ever said it was a DNA from sex. True. Like, it's true. Come. Like, no one ever said that. Also, like, who do, who are their maids? Like, who does the laundry in their house? Mm-hmm. I mean, these people were obscenely rich. Mm-hmm. Right. Who's doing their laundry? Right. So, Brie, what do you think happened? Um... <clears throat> I tend to think that it was either Patsy or Burke and that it was a cover-up. I don't know. I'm almost leaning more towards Patsy. Just based on the 911 call and the note and also they did um, handwriting analysis. Mm -hmm. It's Patsy's handwriting. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. So that's why I think that it it was definitely a cover-up, in my opinion, of somebody in the family. I don't think it was John, to be honest with you, but I think it was either Patsy or Burke. Yeah, um, I agree. Danielle, what do you think happened? I think it was probably Burke. Really? Yeah. I could see either one. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a little nine-year-old boy. I think he accidentally killed her, and the family, I think the family unfortunately thought, we'll cover this the fuck up and be done with it, wash our hands of it forever, and here we are 20 years later talking about it. And I mean, they they had a lot of money. They could have paid people off. Exactly. Exactly. Like the cops. Money gets you fucking everywhere. No, it does. I don't think it's Burke. You don't think it's Burke? You think it's Patsy? So, yes. I think it's Patsy. I think that she got really fucking irritated after the stress of 40th birthday party. And I think that Jamine wetting the bed... Something small but stacked up. Can yep. she lost it? And I think she lost it, and, and then was like, oh, and fuck. hit her, and was freaked the fuck out. Said, "I didn't know what to do." Drug her downstairs. Realized that she inflicted harm that could not be 
fixed with medical intervention mm-hmm. and choked her to death and freaked out, rushed upstairs, wrote that ransom note. Because John John's handwriting was completely excused. Yeah. Patsy's was undetermined. I think that Patsy did it out of a freak out over JonBenet wetting the bed because that was like the last, the last domino that tilted everything down. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think regardless if it was Patsy or Burke, I think Patsy Ramsey mm-hmm. knew exactly what happened, mm-hmm. and I think we will never know because Patsy Ramsey has passed away. Mm-hmm. I will hold out for a deathbed confession from Burke. <laughs> Um, I think that how old is he at this point? I was thirty three. Nine. Yeah. Okay. So weird about Burke. Um, I don't like know him, but kind of. What? Okay, it's not that close. Okay, tell me. So our we have a coworker. <laughs> his <laughs> his girlfriend. Uh-huh. Um, we all went camping this summer. Shout out, throwback to camping. Hate it. We all went camping this summer, and we were, like, sitting around the fire, and she was like, oh, my God. I have to tell you guys something, because he doesn't fucking care, and this is crazy. Her cousin's friend dates Burke Ramsey. No! <laughs> Get the fuck out! Yes. Ugh. So, overall, if you, like, look at everything, I think it was an accident, because I think if JonBenet mm-hmm. would have lived on, she would have made the family a lot of money. And I think no matter what happened was an accident. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And they all feel very remorseful about it, but no one is going to fess up to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is really That's sad. what I'm saying. I'm holding out big time for a deathbed confession from Burke. Right. Have you guys ever? Okay, so. The Katy Perry. The- yes! <laughs> <laughs> I introduced Nicole to the Katy Perry oh, theory. The Katy Perry. Okay, so the Katy Perry mm-hmm. theory holds no weight except for the fact that, that they look, look alike. Similar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they don't even look that. Like a little bit, but like also a- like Katy Perry looks like Paula Dean, so like pick your poison. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what? She does. Look at Google like Katy Perry and Paula Dean. No, I can't unsee that now. Yeah. It's wild. Butter y'all. Butter y'all. Butter y'all. I'm going to just put some uh-huh. pads of butter, uh-huh. y'all, on uh-huh. this casserole. Everyone's immortal and a witch. <laughs> Holy shit. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. Holy <laughs> shit. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So we have a very special random fan yeah. story today. Brought to you by Nicole. Nicole. Our beautiful editor. There so. she is. Boom. Let me scoot Do it. I'm excited to hear this one. So, when I was a teenager, my mom moved to Manistee, Michigan when I was about uh, like 13 or 14. Um, it was like right before I started driving and things like that. And at first we lived in this really tiny cottage. It was like a summer cottage and it was literally like a 400 square foot <laughs> cottage that we lived in through the winter. Um, and, you know, I stuck with it with my mom and then she, so a little bit of backstory on my mom. She works for the Catholic church. She worked for the Catholic churches in Manistee. So there were three of them. How and, far north is Manistee? Um... 
I don't know what you about know. an hour. Yeah, but like yeah. on Lake Michigan. It's on Lake yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. I'm just trying to like get a, an idea where it is. Yep, it's real small town. Yes. Feel. Yep. And so small town. My mom was working uh, at one of the churches there. That was like the main church that she worked at, and she met this guy who um, he was just a like a parishioner there, um, and he said that he had a house that he needed to rent out. And so my mom was like, okay, great. How much are you looking for? Because I can't afford a ton. I have a daughter. We need some space. I have a dog as well. Mm-hmm. So like, would you take all of this? And he's like, yes, that's totally fine. Um, he was like, you know what? It's going to take me some time to let like make this available for you. Or if you want to move in immediately, I can, you know, downgrade your rent, but you would just have, um, you know, a lot of stuff in the house and you are welcome to like get rid of that stuff. She's like, okay, that's fine. That's what I was told at least when we moved in. Um, I was there for a couple weeks. We had moved in in like May. So we were like going to be there for the summer at least. And then she was hoping we would be there for longer. And, um, so moved in in May and there for a couple weeks and I was like, wow, there was a lot of stuff here, mom. Like, why did he, why is he moving out without all of this stuff? And she finally told me that, um, it wasn't his stuff, that it wasn't his house. It was his uncle's house. And his uncle was a priest, um, had worked within the Catholic diocese and he had passed away. Mm-hmm. So this nephew... I don't trust Catholics. No. <laughs> no. This nephew had inherited the house with all of this man's stuff still in it. And my mom and I were tasked with getting things out of the house, but then also redoing some of the house. I am picturing... So I grew up in like a Lutheran church, but there was a family of a shit ton of people who bought out a nunnery and there was like yeah. 19 kids wow. and I am picturing that house so I actually have the house here I did oh, find yeah. it we're gonna post that Zillow so we, we will send this but it was built in the 1900s um so it is definitely an older house it looks like a normal fucking house Yes, it does look like a normal house. I hate the kitchen already. Um, <laughs> it's very... The kitchen was very bare when we moved in. Yeah. Except for in these cabinets that are in there as well, there was just, just shit piled in them. Yeah. Really? There was stuff already in there? Yeah. So, just overall old house. Mm-hmm. It did creep me out a little bit because it was an older house. I've never lived in an older house. Mm-hmm. The house that I lived in before was my parents house they built it so it was just as old as I was yeah the interesting thing that I really liked about it though was that when you go up the stairs uh to the second level he actually had a library in kind of the the main little entranceway up from the stairs and he had shelves and shelves and shelves of books interesting that's but creepy. In here, there were just shelves of books. Interesting. He like had that. all kinds of books, religious and not religious. Um, and then in the bedroom, 
that my mom let me stay in. The carpet was like purplish or reddish. It was a really weird color. Um, There was still a mattress and a headboard and everything in there. And along the headboard was like a collector's edition of classics. Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Um, I think like Hercules. <laughs> like just all these different old stories. Yeah. It sounds like they literally just like packed up and left. Yes. Well, he died. Yeah, yeah but like who would do that though? Like Ooh, who whose died? family would just like leave all this? Yeah, why there? was well, why was the nephew like doing right. what you want with so it? So the, the nephew was in charge of doing that. But he kind of pawned it off on my mom. That's weird. And so he probably like, went in and got everything he cared about and was like, oh, like shit. He didn't touch anything. So he didn't so want anything. Because this guy's a demon. So <laughs> this thing that still spooks me, and I actually still have the books. My mom has them with her. On the books, they were bound with like a finely type fabric or whatever. But there were red splatters. That's splattered across from the first book all the way to the last book in like a a motion of a splatter. Uh, mm-mm. Uh, Bree's face. <laughs> and I asked my mom, me. what do you think this is? <laughs> and my mom wouldn't answer me. I talked to her not that long ago, a couple months ago, and she's like, yep pretty sure this is blood. I just <gasps> couldn't tell you to your face when you were younger. No. She also, she doesn't know how he died. The nephew refused to tell us how he died. And she does not like to talk about it with me. Sus. Oh my god. Sus as fuck. Yes. So, it was maybe a couple of months, or not even, maybe a month after we moved into the house. My mom started to go downhill a little bit. She had some struggles. And so I was home alone a lot. And we had a dog. And I remember specifically my mom was out. And it was maybe one or two in the morning. And I was sitting in a chair in the corner of the living room. And I was watching TV. We just had a really tiny TV. And... My dog was laying in the center of the living room and all of a sudden she just started barking Mm -hmm. and she's a lab. She is not a big barker at all. Mm -hmm. Um, She would bark if there's a stranger, but that's it. Like she never barked. So I thought someone was at the front door. So I walked to the front door. I turned on the main light to see if there was anyone on the street and there was no one there. So I walked back, turned the light off. Um, and there was a glass door that went from the living room to the staircase. And I, sh- um, I opened that glass door. And the way it opens is that it opens, like, into the living room. Um, so there's no way for, like, a draft from the main door uh-huh. to make that open. It right. would have to come from behind in right. the living room. Right, 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 right. And all the windows were shut and everything. Yeah. So anyway, my dog is barking. She starts growling, which is not anything that she did. I started calling my mom, and I just had this feeling like someone was behind me. Mm. So I backed myself literally standing against the wall. 
No. And I was trying to call my mom. She wasn't answering. The dog is barking and growling at the door. And I just started crying. And, like, a couple seconds after I started crying, that glass door slammed shut. Oh, no. Shit. And it slammed so hard that I thought the glass was going (gasps) to break. It just... The glass oh, was, like, no. shaking. Mm-mm. Just Mm-mm. shaking. Holy fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So then... Oh, that gave me goosebumps. That is freaky. My mom finally came home. I attempted to go to sleep, but I couldn't <laughs> sleep after that. And I'm literally shaking just talking about it. And then it was maybe a couple of weeks later, my mom and I had slept in late on a Saturday, and I remember waking up and going into her room and saying like oh I think the neighbors are out in their lawn or something Mm -hmm. and we both heard like the rate like a radio or something um so we walked downstairs and we were gonna like make breakfast and stuff and in a locked bedroom it was locked because that was supposedly where he had most of his expensive things kept where we weren't supposed to enter that room that was kind of gated off for the nephew to handle. Uh, In that locked room, uh-uh. there was a radio, Mm-mm. unplugged, Mm-mm. playing. No. Mm-mm. No. Wait, like you then went into the room. My mom, I made my Hell mom go no. into the room. Ugh. And she picked up the cord. And as soon as she picked up the cord, it stopped. Fuck no. I hate it. I hate it. Yes. What else was in that room? It was just all of his, all of his it is, it had been everything that he had like kept or whatever near him while he was really old. I guess he had been sleeping in that room because he couldn't make it up the stairs. Oh my God. So he was like old, old. Yes. No. And then it was probably uh, maybe a couple weeks after that, we started to have a major mice problem. Ew. Oh no. And there were mice. Everywhere. Uh, they would, we would walk into the kitchen and there would be mice all uh, over the counters. What? They would be in the bathtub. Did you ever have a fly problem or just mice? There were flies, but it wasn't like an issue. Okay. It was just mainly mice. What? That's a pretty big infestation. Yes. yes. That's a shitload. And the nephew brought in someone to look in the basement. That was someplace... My mom refused to go. She does not like to admit anything supernatural, but, like, my mom would not go into the basement, and she said, do not open the door. Right. And so he went down into the basement, basement, supposedly set traps and things. Nothing worked. We need to call Zach Baggins. Nothing worked. And... So after some deliberation and things, my mom and I decided to move out of that house. Um, and we found out that he had kind of cleaned out some of the priest's stuff, um, and rented it to another family. And there was a family that moved in there. And then my mom found out a few months later that they lasted about two and a half months in the house. They left all of their stuff in the house, picked up and just left. Fucking Amityville horror style. Yes. Yes. Exactly. The house I just found out was sold on January 3rd of this year. Oh, no. Oh, no. So if the owner of this house ever listens to this. You can write them a letter. Good fucking luck. That's true. I am 
wholeheartedly believe that that priest is haunting that house. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I talked to my mom about it, and she doesn't like to talk. She doesn't like to speculate about things like that. Mm-hmm. She's Catholic and like mm-hmm. tries to do that. In from what I understand from my previous like encounters with my mom being like very Christian and my previous encounters with the paranormal in the Catholic light eyes if you see a any type of spirit it is the devil yeah so yeah. i can understand that yes hmm. but my mom has since said that she believes the same thing yeah, yeah. And she's uh. admitted that to me so earlier today i was talking to her and asked her for information about the priest and what the address of the house was because i was trying to you know see if i could find photos of it hmm. And she just kind of started chuckling. And she's like, I don't want... She said, I don't want to remember this. Oh. And she said that to me over the phone. Mama. That is wild. Yeah. Holy shit. So I felt bad for asking her about it. Yeah. But she did end up contacting someone and finding the the name of the priest Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I can't find anything about how he died. I can't find anything... About him regarding the history of the house, it's like it never existed. So there's nothing no. about like the possibility possibility of why that blood was on the books. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not that I forgot I about I that. Can't I can't find anything. It's too many things. I will say my mom still has the books, to my knowledge, with the blood on them. Yes, I keep the shit out of those. Um, blood books. could we get so like? A hold of some luminol or something, right? Word. I know, that's what I to want like to see do. if it actually is. Yeah. Yes, that's a great idea. But when my mom and I moved into our next house, I always kept the same feeling that like someone was behind me. Ew, Jesus Christ! And just like looking over oh, my shoulder. That is so creepy. Thinking oh. about it, I literally have that feeling right now. <laughs> There's no one back there. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Ugh. then my mom didn't, moved into another apartment with those books. It's the book. And I still can't. It's the book. I couldn't, it's I couldn't be there. We know from Ghost Adventures. We know artifacts, the books. That items hold energy. Mm. Yeah. And like, Ugh. items hold energy, right? So those Yikes. books are following her. Yeah. yeah. I don't live with books, thank God. Mm. And I, for the most part, am functioning normally. <laughs> but it is whenever I go to my mom's, <sighs> I just can't shake the feeling that it's something is off. She yeah. needs to contact our best friend, Zach Baggins. Please, Zach Baggins. <laughs> come come explore this house with me. Do you, have you ever watched Ghost Adventures? No. Okay, well, I don't oh. like do the ghost shit. My, oh my god. My major crush and forever person is Zach Baggins. Is he the ghost man? I don't know who that is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I guess now we're going to see We're going to look him up. Um, but what we've learned from Zach Baggins is that items have energy connected to them and they can be haunted. So I would be very curious to see what would happen if you would take those books and hold them up to like, I don't know, an EMF detector or mm-hmm. some type of 
voice recorder. Um, yeah, this is Zach Bagans. This is who I love so much. I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like him at all. So, <laughs> like, usually not my type. I don't either. Usually not my type, but <laughs> I'm like kind of into him. Shut up. <laughs> I don't think so either. And he's a huge douche. Usually not like my type. Okay, bag. hold on. Usually not my type, but I've been watching him since I was like ten. So like, whatever. Bear with me. Wow. Okay, oh, well, wow. that is quite the listener story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if anybody else has any stories, please share uh, Share with us. You can send your true stories into perfectstranglerspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also um, submit your stories on our website, which is... What's our website? (laughs) (laughs) Perfectstranglers.com is our website. Uh, And don't forget to, uh, what is it? Rate, subscribe, and write a review on Perfect Stranglers on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you like Mm -hmm. to listen. Yeah, it helps us get seen. Yes. Also, share with your friends and family. Yes. And have a very good Christmas or holiday season or whatever the fuck you celebrate. And uh, we will see you on the, or talk to you, I guess, on the next episode. Next year. Woo-woo! Yes, next year. 2021. <laughs> next year. Please let it be better than 2020. <laughs> I have hope. I have hope, too. All right. We will see you next year. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.